Good morning, family. As Mark mentioned, it's sweet hearing those kids singing that nothing but the blood of Jesus can wash away our sin. And this morning, we're going we're gonna to dive into that, and we're going to see how that's true for us. Um, and so it's, it's my joy to be able to open the Word with us this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be reading um, a larger section today. We're going to read verses 17 through 48, so I'd, I'd love it if you would turn there as I'm uh, kind of setting up where we're at. If you haven't been with us for the last five weeks, we've been preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, and, and the series title is The Way of the King. And so it's Jesus preaching to the disciples and telling them what the kingdom of God looks like. And just to recap, this isn't something new. This is actually what has been spoken through all of the Old Testament also. Jesus is speaking to their hearts. And so we see it in the Old Testament, both in the law and in the prophets. And so we're going to look there and give us some context for who God is. The Old Testament law and prophets were about the heart. We looked at this last week, but I think it's worth looking at it again in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6. It's, it's the Shema. It's the prayer that the Jewish people would pray every morning and still pray every morning. And so this is their context of who God is, and it's our context of who God is. And it, it's, it's in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6. He says, we look, uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. This is the, the law, the law of God, and it's speaking to the hearts of his people. We, we often think do and do not when we think law, and, and Jesus is, is reiterating that in his Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking about, no, the, the goal of God the whole time was have a people that would chase after his heart, that would want to know him and to be in communion with him. And, and we see it in the prophets also in Joel the prophet Joel, chapter 2, 12 through 13. This is Joel calling the people of God to repentance. And it says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. So all of the Old Testament is shaped around who God is, And his desire for the hearts of his people. And so Jesus comes on the scene in Matthew. And he continues the same declaration. And he points to our hearts. This morning we're going to begin to look at that. But uh, just looking at the last five sermons. We started with the Beatitudes. Where Jesus clearly is speaking to the hearts. He's talking about. uh, He said things like blessed are the poor in spirit. The meek the pure in heart. And to all of those, he promised the kingdom of God, which looked a lot like Jesus himself and and was the desire that we have for comfort and satisfaction and peace and mercy. And those are all the promises of those who, who come to him with a right heart. And even the last two blessings of the Beatitudes that sort of sound like they might be our interaction with other people is really talking about our heart's response. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So Jesus is laying out this idea that it, we got to begin with your heart and your heart is wayward. As, as Mark mentioned, it's, 
uh, deceitfully wicked, right? And that's, that's where we're at. After the Beatitudes, Jesus moves into answering this question, what is the way of the king like in a broken world? And he said two things. He said it's, it's, it's different. It's both different inside and it's different outside. It's different inside because you're salt, right? And you have a different effect in the world. And, and it's different outside because you are light and you shine in a world of darkness. And so Jesus is explaining what it looks like to be salt and light. And then a couple of weeks ago, we got into what is the purpose of Christ. And, and he said that he came to fulfill all of the Old Testament law and, and prophets. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law in 517 or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I want to look at Colossians 1, uh, 19 and 20 this morning to, to give us some, some parameters for where we're going to be. It says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So when we see Jesus come onto the scene, he is the fullness of all of the law, of all of the prophets, of all of the Old Testament. Jesus is the embodiment of that. And so that's what we're hearing when he's giving now what the way of the kingdom looks like. So that's where we've been. We're... Where we are is kind of in the middle of this because Jesus is, is speaking and he's using six illustrations to just expose our hearts. And so the first two we went through two weeks ago where he talked about uh, murder and adultery and, and anger and lust and how the, the, the murder is the outward work of an inward heart problem. And the lust, the, the adultery is an outward seen thing of an inward heart problem that we all have. And we saw it in retaliation and how we saw where he, he says, turn the other cheek. And there's something in us that rises up and says, that's not fair. That's not right. And yet God is leading us to, to loving well and to turning the other cheek and, not, and to being humiliated for his name's sake. We've seen uh, the last one was hatred of enemies. And we tried to define who our neighbors were and who our enemies are so that we can have people that we can love and people that we can hate because our heart is bent. Today we're going to look at divorce and oaths. I want us to remember an, another thing because as Jesus is giving these six illustrations, he's saying um, some iteration of you've heard it said, which is different from Matthew 4 where he goes into the wilderness with Satan and, and he says, for it is written. So there's this power that comes with, the, with what was actually said. And then there's this skewed thing of where the teaching had gone. And, and you've heard it said so Jesus is kind of deconstructing some of that for us today. And maybe we don't have the same, you've heard it said, that they had in this time, but we have different ones. And so even as we're thinking about how we kind of skew the law of God, I want us to keep that in mind. And, and then, as we're going to see, we don't live up to that law no matter how we do it. And we need a Savior. So this morning, we're going to read it together. So let's find Matthew 5, 17 through 48. I don't know if I told you earlier, but it's in 473. If you have one of those paperback Bibles that are on the pew, uh, pew, on the benches next to you, um, just grab one of those. Make it your own. Feel free to write in it. Feel free to underline. Um, take notes. Take it home with you. Read it there. We want you to have the Word of God. We want us to hide it in our hearts to know Him and to love Him. So we're going to read Matthew 5, 17 through 48. Read 
follow along as I read aloud. It says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, Do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Let's pray together. God, we can um, read your word and immediately begin to um, recognize where we've failed. Lord, we thank you for that kindness that would expose our sin, that would lead us to a place of repentance. But often, Lord, our hearts would turn it into something else 
and, and try to see areas where we've succeeded and we would rest in our own righteousness. And so, Lord, we would ask that even today, as we hear a high standard, that we would rest in the righteousness of Christ. As he demands perfection, that we would recognize that we are not perfect and run to the one who is. God, I pray for the hurting here this morning. I pray that you would speak a better word, a word of wholeness, of beauty, of comfort. Lord, I pray that that those of us that are wrestling with self-righteousness would hear a call to repentance and that we would repent for your namesake to make much of who you are, to make much of Jesus. Pray that we would continue to wrestle with this, that it wouldn't be a a Sunday morning thing, but it would be a, a daily wrestling with who you are, that we would live a life of repentance. I thank you that you're doing these things already this morning, Lord, through our song, through hearing our children sing, through the prayer of confession. God, you're good, really kind to us. And so we just remember your kindness this morning. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Lord, not not what we'd want to hear, but what your word says. In your name we pray. Amen. I have good news. We're not going to recount all of that. Um, so we, but we did want to read the whole of the six illustrations that he uses so that we can get the context. And, and imagine that you're one of those disciples that are on the mountain hearing Jesus continuing to, to give these illustrations. And, and there's, this, there's this weight that's building, right? There's this gravity to what he's saying that you're, you're just wrestling with. It and you're like, man, you're asking a lot, Jesus. You're asking for perfection, tell you, he is. And he did it actually verbatim. He said, you must be perfect. This morning, we're going to look at how we distort that, how we change that idea of perfection perfection in our own minds. And we're going to do it in, in verses 31 and 32, Jesus' teaching on divorce. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. The essence of what they were teaching and what was being heard said was that they were free to divorce as long as a certificate of divorce was being given, as long as something was in place to take care of the, the wife who was being divorced. So the certificate of divorce was what they would use to uh, take care of her financially. And like we've seen elsewhere, this isn't a complete teaching. The, often the scribes and the Pharisees would have uh, either a distorted or a misused or an incomplete teaching that they were, they were sharing to, because maybe they felt like they, they could complete that thing. And so they were, that's their bar then. Or just tradition had been passed down for so long that they misread it. So let's take a look. Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. It says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, 
If then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. This is the teaching that that the scribes and the Pharisees are pulling from to to validate this certificate of divorce. And this teaching is based on a woman who, who is divorced and then she marries and then she's divorced and then she's going to remarry her husband, and, and the teaching says that that's, that's an abomination to who God is. And it's a very specific teaching. But we take these specific teachings, and we try to, just like the scribes and the Pharisees, we make it something that we think we can do. So this teaching became, give a certificate of divorce if she displeases you. How do you get from this long Four verse paragraph that's very intricate to this very simple, if she displeases you, give her a certificate of divorce. Well, the the way that we do that is we develop a law that we think that we can keep. That's how we get there. We think that we can do that. We think that I can accomplish that. And so we lessen the law. And what we want, like the teachers in Jesus' day, is a self-righteousness. We want to be able to check that box and say, I didn't do that, so I'm good. And Jesus, like we've talked about, is not, not speaking to that situation. He's speaking to the heart. He's addressing where our hearts are. And what we want to say is that our own, our own way, it may not be perfect, but it's pretty good. It's good enough. Like, look at the people around me. My way is, is good. But Jesus is calling us to a different way. You see, the way of the king was not the way of divorce, just like it was not the way of murder, just like it was not the way of adultery, of swearing, of retaliating, and hating your enemy. And Jesus discusses it more in Matthew 19, 3 through 9. The Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. God's design for marriage, and not everyone, not everyone is given the gift of marriage. So if you're single, that's a gift that you have. If you're married, he's given you the gift of marriage. And God's design for that marriage was that they would stay married and that they would model the way of the king in the context of marriage. And that looks like dying to each other, dying to your own wants and desires and putting the other person first 
Paul speaks about it in Ephesians. And that's the way of the king. But we want to, we want to say, well, what happens when that doesn't, when that doesn't work? And we live in a broken world where this is, we, we dwell in brokenness all the time. This is just one aspect of brokenness. And so I realize that there are people here today that might be hurting in the midst of this. And so my hope is that you're hearing Christ because Christ can redeem all brokenness, is redeeming all brokenness. Christ is doing a good thing and he's restoring right relationship. But we have to say that the design of the king, and these are Jesus' words himself in Matthew 19, is that from the beginning it was not so. And so the design of God is that he's joined us together. And then they press him further. They, the, the, the scribes press him further and say, well, what about Moses' teaching on divorce? And he says, I, that was given because your hearts were hardened. It was already broken. It was broken. And so this morning when we're sitting here and we're, and we're thinking about this, this is one way that our hearts are broken. There's so many ways. If, if we haven't heard a way that our heart is broken in these six illustrations and we haven't been listening, the way of the king is perfect. It's perfect in marriage. It's perfect in loving your neighbor. It's perfect in not rising up in anger. The way of the king is a very high standard. And so we wrestle with that. But Jesus gives us two verses in Matthew 5. And he rests in the fact that, with the statement that, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you need to be clear that if you are in a marriage and there is abuse or there is abandonment, that it is broken. That is not the way of the king either. So when we talk about maybe is divorce the best situation in, in, in a really already messed up situation, maybe. But the way of the king is not that way. The way of the king is, is right relationship with one another, is loving each other selflessly and giving everything that, that he, the other person, that your spouse may know Christ, may see Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we can't lessen that standard because that's what Jesus calls us to. But what we're going to see is that we all break that standard. We have all fallen short of that, and we need a perfect king to walk it perfectly. Jesus continues in Matthew 33. And and we need to remember that Matthew 31, where Jesus is preaching on divorce, is coming out of this idea of adultery and lust so it, it all flows. It's Jesus pointing to our hearts and saying, look, your heart is wicked and deceitful and messed up. And so then he talks about the covenant of marriage and how that's broken. And now he's going to talk about the swearing of covenants and the, the swearing of oaths and how we can't even keep our own, keep our own word. It says this, again, you have heard that it, in verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said, 
to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But what you say, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. But again, it starts with a you've heard it said. So let's go back and look at what the original teaching was. Leviticus 19, 11, and 12. It says, you shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely. And so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. More than swearing falsely, which is, which is sandwiched in the middle of all these other things, the law is talking about speaking truth. It's talking about not lying. It's talking about being faithful to what you say is true and doing it. You see, during this time, the Jews had kind of created this, these tiers of, um, these, these levels of oaths. And so if something was really holy and they swore by it, then that means that's an oath they're really going to keep. And if something was a little, a little lesser, then they didn't necessarily have to keep that oath. It's, it would be great if they did, but if they didn't, it's not as bad. Is that ringing a bell with anybody else in here? Because when I read that, I, man, I was like, how do we do that? How, don't I do that in my own heart, just like they're doing? And they'd swear by something that was holy, and that was supposed to be something that they would keep, and something lesser or more base was something that they could get away with not falling through on. And so Jesus is addressing it, and he addresses it in Matthew twenty three sixteen. He says, and this is him speaking to the Pharisees, and he says, Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. So the temple, not that big of a deal, but the gold in the temple, that's really important. Don't swear by that. Isn't that messed up? Isn't, and isn't that exactly what we do? You see, Jesus is tearing all of this down. He's saying that everything that was created is holy. And so you have nothing that you can make levels of because it's all mine. Whether it's swearing by earth, which is a footstool, swearing by heaven, which is his throne, swearing by Jerusalem, which is his city, it's all his, so it's all sacred, and it's all holy. So you don't get to not do something that you say. Why do we even swear? Why do we have to swear in court that we're telling the truth? Because most of the time, we don't tell the truth. That's the reason. That's why we have to swear in court. Because they really want to make sure that you're telling the truth. And they know that most of the time, you don't. Most of the time, I don't. This is one of the hardest ones for me. I don't want people to know who I really am because I want you to think that I'm better than I am. So I lie to you. We all do it. 
And so, what is the standard? Well, the standard is perfection. The standard is perfect truth. You say yes, and you mean yes, and you say no, and you mean no, and you don't swear. Now, do we still need to swear because that's part of our culture? Yes. There's going to be times where you're asked to swear on the Bible. But you know what? As a Christian, it should be the same answer that you would give if you didn't swear. We should let our yes be yes and our no be no, but our hearts are deceitful. They're really wicked and they're messed up. And we want other people to think more highly of us. We don't want our sin to be exposed because we're afraid of what that would mean. So Jesus is deconstructing that and tearing it down. And it's good. It's good that he does this. He's calling for perfection. You see, when we've, as we're looking at the way of the king, and we're seeing it in all of these illustrations, and we've seen it in the Beatitudes, and we've seen it as he's calling for us to be, have a righteousness greater than the scribes and the Pharisees, we're seeing perfection called for. But the way of the king seldom is the way of the king our natural response. God's exposed that. Jesus has exposed that in these teachings, that normally our our natural response is that we could be king. That we could actually do it right. Seldom is the way of the king easy. We're we're starting to see that. Easy is lying. Easy is, is giving a certificate of divorce to say, this just isn't working for me, so I'm, I'm done. Which is as flippant as they were using it. The way of the king is seldom us getting what we want. Often the way of the king is suffering. And we see it because we see the king. We see how he walks. Often the way of the king is persecution. Often the way of the king is dying. If not a literal dying, then it's at least a dying to what we want. And so that's the way of the king, and that's what he's calling us to. This morning, we stand and we look and we hear, and what we see is that the way of the king demands an unattainable perfection. The way of the king demands an unattainable perfection. And we may say, that doesn't seem fair. How can he ask me to do something that he knows I can't do? It's an unattainable perfection. We cannot meet it. This is what Jesus is doing with the disciples. He's laying out this way that they can't follow. And they're starting to realize it because he's exposing their hearts and saying, you need something other than what you have. In and of yourself, you can't do it. See, Jesus is destroying every way that they attempted to lower the standard. And Jesus is still doing that for us. He's destroying the way that we attempt to say that less than perfect is okay. And he destroys it by saying in verse 48, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The way of the king demands an unattainable perfection, but that unattainable perfection is freely given to us in Christ. Okay, we've heard the bad news. It's been weighty. It's been heavy. 
<laughs> right? We're all kind of squirming a little. This is not fun. This is not cool. But this is the good news of the gospel. That that unattainable perfection has been freely given to you in the person of Jesus Christ. He has died on the cross. He, he walked the way of the king. He suffered. He was persecuted. And he died for you and for me. And so this morning, that's where we rest. That's where we find our hope. We don't go out and say, well, I can, I can do these things that he's calling me to. I know if I just try harder, I could really work on not lying. I could tell the truth more often. No, we can't. We will, as his Holy Spirit works in us. We will by his grace for his glory. But for all, our own righteousness, we cannot. He was the only one who was righteous, Jesus Christ. I want to look again at Colossians 1, 19 and 20. It says, for in him, talking about Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. By the blood of the cross. As the kids were saying, nothing but the blood, I'm already thinking, Man, I'm, we're going we're gonna to talk about that. We're going to talk about the blood of the cross that reconciles us to a holy God and that we can't do it, but Jesus has done it and we can rejoice in that. But let's keep going because 21 through 23 says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, we like to think evil is really bad. Evil is imperfect. If it's not perfect, You didn't meet the standard. He's calling us to a perfect standard. So doing evil deeds is our imperfection. But we who were alienated and hostile in mind and imperfect, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Jesus is coming and he's saying that the way of the king is perfection. But what he hasn't said in Matthew 5 is what's going to happen at the end of Matthew when he comes and he walks perfectly righteousness. He lives it out unto death. And then that death is for us. And so this morning, we stand before the king, holy and blameless and above reproach because of what he has done, because of the perfect righteousness of Christ on our behalf. In place of my sin and my shame, he's taken it at the cross and he's given me his righteousness, the way that he perfectly lives out. And that's on my account. And that's not just an entrance into this way of the king. That's how we walk in the way of the king every day is by faith. And he says that. Paul says that. He says, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. That hope is is what you initially heard. And it's what you continue to walk in repentance to say, God, your grace is sufficient for my sin and my lack of perfection, but you are perfect. And now I have that. This is the hope of the gospel, Jesus. If this morning in light of the perfection, Jesus demands of those who would follow his way, the way of the king, you've realized your inadequacy. 
Do not despair or be ashamed. Don't do it. That's, that's our hearts prone to wander again. We're, we go from being the victim to being totally unworthy and, and thinking that, oh, that's, this is the worst. I'm the worst. Don't, be, don't despair. Don't be ashamed of the sin that you have. Do not shift from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. Trust in the finished work of Jesus. There's a line in, the, in a song that I love called, Oh, Death by a Band, that's um, the Monday movement. And it becomes an anthem at the end of the song, and they just belt it. And I, I love songs where you just belt stuff. They say, we are not ashamed. We are not ashamed. We are not ashamed of what the power of the king has overcome. And so today, we can stand not ashamed. Like, if we have sin, if we lie, if we're broken, we don't stand ashamed because that brokenness is what the cross came to reconcile. That brokenness is why Jesus came and lived a perfect life. And so it gives him glory that he would restore brokenness, that he would reconcile sinners to a holy God. We have the, the chart and the, the drawing of our sin and our shame. God's holiness is the only thing that, that can connect those two, that can reconcile them, is the beauty of the Savior. The way that he lived it perfectly and died in our place and reconciles us. We are not ashamed because we have a king who has overcome at the cross. And so this morning we remember that at the cross, Jesus reconciled us to a holy God. And to understand the magnitude of that, we realize the depth of our sin. We confess it together corporately. We confess brokenness, but we confess that the standard is perfection. We're not going to minimize that. We're not going to lower it to something that we think that we can obtain. We're going to leave it where God said it. And then we're going to trust in the work of Jesus that what he's done is sufficient, that we can go out of here and we can live this righteous life because not only did Jesus come and he died a sinner's death, but he rose, he rose again. And that resurrection proved his victory over sin and death. And so we're no longer slaves to sin. We, we now have freedom to go and to walk in the righteousness of Christ. And then Jesus ascended into heaven and he said, it's actually better that I go because now I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit's going to dwell inside of you. And the fruit of that Spirit is going to look a lot like Jesus. And so you're going to be able to walk in righteousness. You're going to be able to tell the truth for the first time. Because of who Christ is and what he's done for you. And so this morning, we look at that and we trust in the finished work of Jesus. And let's rejoice. Let's rejoice together in the one who has overcome, the one who has lived perfectly, and the one who has paid for our sin. Let's pray. Lord, we know um, that our minds and our hearts are prone to take some of this and, and make it about us. And so we pray that this morning we would just make it about you. God, because you are calling us to a perfect standard. And so we pray that we would not lessen that because that would take glory from our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that, that all glory would be to God. Thank you for the freedom to confess where we've lied, where we've lowered the standard. 
thank you, Lord. I pray that those that are hurting this morning would feel the comfort of the Holy Spirit, um, that they would hear the truth of your word, that you would speak a better word. Got a word of restoration and reconciliation through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we would believe that. It's, and, and even now, that might be easier to believe than it will be tomorrow when we're back at work dealing with sinful and broken people. Lord, I pray that you would remind us, God, that we would rest in that, that we wouldn't think that the work of Jesus allowed us entrance into the kingdom, but now we have to go out and work it out and figure it out and be perfect, but we would continue to rest in the hope of the gospel of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for these things. We rejoice. We rejoice this morning in your name. Amen.